On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we're going to be talking about the Commonwealth Games bid. Now, the city has put its support behind the idea of Hamilton hosting the 2030 Commonwealth Games, but there's already some discrepancy on how much it could cost the city. And the city has said, we're doing this with an asterisk beside it because we got to see how much this could cost. We'll talk about what those costs could be and why the people behind it say it won't be as high as some are saying. We're also going to be chatting about the coronavirus. Are you concerned? I mean, some people are saying it's panic time. Other people are saying, yeah, it's a lot of hype. Not too worried about it. We're going to talk to you. And then are you cool with the idea of Houston Astros batters being drilled by pitches every game this year? Cause it looks like that might be what's going to happen after they're cheating. We will discuss whether or not baseball allowing baseball to baseball is cool. Stay with us today on the Scott Radley show on 900 CHML. Council here in Hamilton decided yesterday that it will formally endorse a Hamilton bid for the 2030 Commonwealth Games. You probably heard something about this yesterday or today. However, there is a caveat, there is an asterisk, there is a star beside this. Uh, A number of councillors have expressed caution that they may decide to pull out or pull their support if it starts to look like the cost for this is going to become too big if suddenly the city looks like it's going to be hit with big expenses and a big debt. In other words, they are cautiously giving their approval right now with a but. Uh, What we're told from the city's head of finance is that the public sector's contribution, now the whole thing is apparently going to cost somewhere in the $1.4 billion range. The public sector contribution would be in the neighborhood of $1.18 billion with the city's share coming in at 200 to $300 million, which is about double or triple what Hamilton 100, which is the group that's behind this, uh, has said would be the city share. It's saying about $100 million for the city. Uh, well, since money seems to be the issue that is going to drive whether or not this happens and whether the city remains behind this, thought we would bring in someone who can offer a great deal of clarity on this. Uh, PJ Mercanti is the president of Hamilton 100. You know him from all of his work around the city and other things as well. PJ, thanks for doing this today. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Scott. So uh, let's start with the, uh, as I say, money seems to be the thing that's going to make or break this from the city's perspective. They say two to three hundred million. You, as I understand it, say no closer to a hundred million. How is the gap so big already before we even start? So it's, it simply comes down to different methodologies and, and different, I guess, funding tools that we are suggesting that they should be explored. The city is being overly cautious. So simply, the city is assuming in its numbers, zero dollars from private sector, zero dollars from institutions, zero dollars from private fundraising. So in that two to three hundred million dollar, they're assuming as if they're on the hook for the whole freight. Okay, now, so when they so when the one point yeah. four sorry, when the one point four billion, yeah. which is the overall cost then right. and and yeah. they are saying you're saying one point one eight billion would be public, they're saying no, that'll actually be we're we're counting that as one point four. That's where that two hundred million then would close the gap. No, so so a few quick things. Um, so off the top uh, from that $1.4 billion number. So about $250 million of that is games-generated revenue. So sponsorship revenue, ticket sales, you know, broadcast rights, things like that. So that comes, so that essentially funds, you know, $250 million. And then from there, 
This is where the federal government, their new policy is they cover 50% of the cost. Our model contemplates that the, the province would be in for uh, 30% and that the host share, the host community share, comes in for 20%. Now, there would be many different revenue tools that could help offset the city's share. And when I say city share, it's the, the host municipality's share. So bid corporation, host corporation, that, that would be, a, you know, I guess, a combination of Hamilton 100 and the city. And so this is where, you know, we, under our model, are assuming that the private sector would be in for, you know, for a certain number. McMaster, Mohawk, they'd be in for another number. The, the private fundraising, things like naming rights for new facilities, that that would be another factor. The future fund, which, you know, obviously it was the future fund that helped to pay for the Tim Hortons field contribution that the city made. So these are all examples of revenue tools that the city in its initial conservative modeling had not factored in yet. So that's the reason why there's a delta with their model and our model. And ultimately, this would all be flushed out and all these assumptions would be flushed out during a multi-party agreement negotiation with the feds in the province. So so that's going to be the the ultimate test of do the numbers work and can we make this work and and we would certainly push the the feds and the province to to the to the ultimate um, limit like they did with the Calgary 2026 Olympic bid and that bid Scott the federal government was willing to cover 56% of the cost the province 28 and the municipal share 16%. So this is where there's a few examples of different funding models and permutations, and we would want to maximize what the ROI looks like for Hamilton. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Yesterday, City Council cautiously through its support behind the bid that is being brought forward by the group called Hamilton 100, cautiously because they want to see where the dollars are going to be and they want to make sure that we're not taking on more than they are willing to. The man who is behind Hamilton 100, the president of that group, is PJ Mercanti. And PJ, just before the break, uh, and and this is not news to you, I'm sure, that pretty much every, it seems, multi-sports games comes in with a budget and then seemingly ends up with that budget being blown out of the water. How would we ensure or how would we know that Hamilton would not have the same thing happen? So, Scott, give me an example of one of the most recent Commonwealth games where that happens. And there's a reason why I'm asking that. Uh, okay, New Delhi. Okay, New Delhi was, a, was an anomaly. But the last, so three of the last four, uh, Birmingham, Gold Coast, Glasgow, the Glasgow games had a budget of 600 million pounds. They came in under budget. So, in their annual report and their final reporting, they actually saved 30 million pounds and that they were able to put that into a legacy fund that helps the future of those facilities run. We're modeling our games after the Birmingham games, the Glasgow games, games that were the financially successful games. We're not interested in what they did in Delhi. That was, you know, the people that ran those games obviously are, are you know, are in jail and, and it was just it was go not well. a good thing for. <laughs> Yeah, it didn't go well for them. But what we're doing, and, and because this is a, a private sector, um, private sector community bid, you know, we are bringing some frugality, financial creativity to the table, and we're looking at executing these games through a very utilitarian lens. 
Let's do what is necessary to, to pr- produce something impressively. And an example of that, Scott, is the fact that to get to phase two of the bid processes in, in games bids that have gone past, it has cost the municipality north of one, one and a half million dollars. We've managed, Hamilton 100 has managed to do all the work for the phase two bid for under a quarter million dollars. So that's one sixth of the cost. So we're bringing that same financial creativity, that same frugal mentality. We're not a $30 glass of orange juice type of committee. It's bare bones. It's, it's very you know, economically focused. And so we want to bring that methodology to our games planning. And let me just say that... No, yeah. No, let me just say that you make a great point, and and I support this 100%. There are very few things that the private sector can't do cheaper than the government. Let's let's be very honest about that. So that can can work. But, and and I'll I'll bring it back, because you mentioned, you know, the Glasgow games and the Gold Coast games. They were immensely successful as far as ticket sales. I think Glasgow, if I looked, was 96% of ticket sales that they were able to generate... Does your bid rely on almost a 100% ticket sale uh, thing to in, to break even, to make money? What happens if ticket sales are 75%? What if they're 60%? So, so the great thing, so a few great things, and that's a great question. Um, so a few great things about Commonwealth Games Federation partnerships. So they have an entire, so that the International Federation has a business division that helps to generate the ticket revenue, the sponsorship revenue. And so it's not as if the, the host communi- uh, community is on the, on the hook for that. This is where the international body mobilizes their best practices and, and, and their network of sponsors and, 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 and folks. They've got a machine, a well-oiled machine, that delivers the 1 to 1.2 million tickets that they need to sell. And another great thing, and, and why we feel confident in the revenue modeling is we're in southern Ontario, you know, with all the respect to other, you know, other cities out west, uh, you know, in Alberta, you know, who we're competing against, you know, in our market in southern Ontario, you know, there's a catchment area of five, six, seven million people within a, a few hours uh, of driving. So we feel confident that we'll be able to, to pull from the GTA, Kitchener-Waterloo, Niagara Peninsula, and and we're actually aligning with them on this on those com- with those communities on our social impact strategy. So we've received letters of support from the City of Toronto, from the mayors of KW, uh, from the mayors of uh, the Niagara Peninsula. So we're going to be you you know making this a a southwestern Ontario regional bid that is uh, centered in Hamilton. So we'll be able to rely on the greater catchment area to help us with ticket sales. And that some people see that as a good news. Obviously you, you're an optimist and some people say that could be a challenge because in this area, we have the biggest of the big sports. We've got all the major leagues and some people say, well, will people in Toronto come down the road for the Commonwealth games? And, and, you know, we certainly expect that there will be enough of a draw with some of these, some of these big sports, the rugby sevens, uh, historically bring countries together and communities together in a major way. They are a fun, it's a fun event to watch. There's a lot of beer consumed. It is a, it is a, it is a real experience. And I think Tim Hortons Field would be a great, you know, great host uh, for that. But, you know, we would obviously, you know, be very creative and rely on 
the expertise uh, of the Commonwealth Games Federation. We're also, you know, blessed to have Gowling as our partner with this bid. And, and Gowling has an office in Hamilton, and Lou Fraporti, who's their managing partner, has been a part of our, you know, part of our bid committee. And Gowling is also the uh, International Federation's legal partner. They're the, the, the sponsor of Commonwealth Games Canada. So they bring a network of of private sector partners, institutional partners to the table as well that would help with the overall ticketing plan, sponsorship plan, etc. So we feel very good that we'll be able to execute our financial model uh, and and we've got a 10-year runway too. So this is where we've got a great ability, a unique ability to get our ducks in a row well in advance. And, you know, one thing that is also working in our favor is that, you know, there will be modest inflation and we've factored in to our expense modeling the the inflation over the course of the next few years uh, from a cost perspective. But there's going to be, you know, an uplift in potential revenue because of inflation as well. That works in our favor in terms of potential sponsorship and uh, and ticket sales, too. So we feel confident that our financial plan is strong. KPMG is working with us with regards to making sure that the model is is sound and at the end of the day Scott we want to make sure this is a there's a big ROI for Hamilton PJ I really appreciate the time today thanks for doing this no problem you're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML I assume you have been uh, following along with what's been going on with the coronavirus story. If you've been listening to this radio station, Bill Kelly, Scott Thompson have been doing an excellent, excellent job talking about it, covering it, giving you all the details that you need to know about it. Uh, If you've been reading the paper, if you've been watching on TV, if you've been online, if you've been anywhere, there is absolutely no question you have been well brought up to date on what's going on with the coronavirus. But I want to know if you are worried about it, where you are on this. I mean, are you hunkering down with food supplies in the basement in case you have to be in the house for 25 days because there's a pandemic that's spreading through your community? Or are you saying, come on, it's just the latest thing that I'm not too worried about right now. I want to hear from you. 905-645-3221, star 9900. I'll tell you why, a part of why I'm asking the question, because certainly this story, this illness is causing widespread concern in the States. Now they've got working groups with experts and everything on trying to control it because they're absolutely convinced this is going to start to spread. And I think that's probably a reasonable suggestion. I don't think anyone's making this up. Nobody's making this up. Nobody's arguing that this is a made-up thing or it doesn't exist. But there are some numbers that came to mind today. Look, I had to look these up to make sure that I had them right, and I didn't. So I'm glad I looked it up because they're way worse than what I thought. And I'm not talking about the coronavirus right now. Right now, with the coronavirus, up to the last time I refreshed this page that apparently is a live count of how many people have been reported, there have been 83,000 roughly cases of coronavirus in the world. Almost all of them, or at least the vast, vast, vast majority in China and Asia, and people who have been in that area of China where this started, there have been 2,817 deaths, which nobody's scoffing at by any stretch. No one's one's making fun or making light of 2,800 people dying. 
But according to the Center for Disease Control, every single year, sorry, according to the, the World Health Organization, the CDC is in the States, the, the World Health Organization estimates that every single year, the flu kills 290,000 to 650,000 people across the planet. So we've got 8,000 people who have died, not, or sorry, 2,800 people who have died, 2,800 people who have died. Up to 650,000 people die of the flu. Now, neither one is ideal, right? You're not looking to get either one of these things. You want to avoid it. That's why we have a flu shot. We don't have a vaccine or something yet for the coronavirus. But I think a lot of people are looking at this and saying, you know, there's a lot of other things that are going around that I can get that could kill me if I am older, if I'm in poor health, if I have respiratory issues, if there's something going on. So I'm not going to get myself too worked up about this. Is that you? I'll be honest. I, it hasn't touched home for me yet. I don't have anyone that I know who's been impacted by this. So maybe that's part of the issue, but I'm... I'm cautious about this. I, I certainly have concerns about it like anybody else, but I'm having a very hard time right now getting myself worked into a lather about the idea of getting it. Of course, that probably means now I'm going to get it. Having said that, hope not. Um, I just, I'm, I remember when SARS was going around and SARS, by the way, if you read the stories, SARS, very similar origins, very similar area where this comes from. There's a lot of similarities between SARS and this. It's not the same thing. But SARS was... Um, now, did anybody listening, do any of you, did any of you have anybody affect, get affected by SARS? I didn't. Doesn't mean nobody did. But did, is there anyone in your life that was affected by SARS? Remember, back in night, uh, 2003... Give or take, SARS was the thing that was before this. It was going to be the thing that swept over everything and, and, and caused the new pandemic. And it didn't. And that doesn't mean that we're poo-pooing the coronavirus or putting it down or saying we shouldn't be cautious or all that kind of thing. I, I'm just a little, I don't know. As I say, I'm a little skeptical. I'm, I, I have a, a bit of a hard time getting myself worked into too much of a froth about this because I just don't see... Yet, it hitting home around here. It could, absolutely, it could. But where are you on this one? Again, are you, are you very, very concerned to the point that you're taking action against this, or are you saying, yeah, you know what? They'll sort it out. Nine zero five six four five three two two one or star nine nine zero zero. I want to hear from you on your your take on this thing and whether you are living in fear now. Some people are saying, oh, I'm never going to travel. I'm not going to go on a plane. I was just on a plane. So again, maybe I have it and I don't know, but I was just on a plane. Some people are saying, I'm never going to go on a plane. I'm not going to go into a busy place. I'm not going on a bus. I'm not going into a, a crowd anywhere. I'm doing nothing except staying away because I can't get coronavirus. Well, that's, I, I'm, I'm, until the day comes that this thing is now everywhere, like the bubonic plague. And I don't, I don't think we're going to get there. I'm not living my life that way. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, the, the scientist, 
He's on TV all the time. Great tweet he sent yesterday. Wonder what anti-vaxxers would say to a coronavirus vaccine. That was his tweet that he sent out. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about the coronavirus, we have heard lots. We have listened to lots. We've been following lots of updates on this. It is certainly an important story. It is certainly not a story that we're mocking, not by any stretch. But I'm wondering if you are following this with fear and trepidation or if you're saying, you know, you know what, I think this is a lot of hype. Up to 650,000 people a year die of the flu, according to the World Health Organization. 2,800 people have died of this. Not very comparable. Let's, let's get our breath here. Let's, let's catch our breath and figure this out and whatever. Where, where do you stand on this one? Because I know there are people who are absolutely in, a, in the beginnings of a panic about this and really believe that we are heading down the road, that we're going to have this giant pandemic and it's going to be everywhere. And look, all you need to see is the stock market over the last few days. The stock market has been going down and down and down, and everyone is pointing at this, believing that this is going to be the cause of all kinds of problems in our economy and in the world and everything else. Well, where are you on this one? If you believe that, that's fine. You're you're entitled to believe that. I tend to be a little more... I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Because we went down this road to some degree with SARS, another disease that came from basically the same area of the world that didn't have a vaccine, that we didn't really have a treatment for. And you know what? We have very smart people who are working in the medical research field and they got this thing controlled and I, that's how I feel this one is going to go as well. Uh, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Those are the numbers. would love to hear from you. Brian is up first today. Brian, thanks for holding. Appreciate it. Uh, where, are you, where are you on this one? Are you in a panic or are you in the, uh, it's a little overhyped and I'll wait and see what happens? Uh, I'm not in a panic, but I'm not, I don't consider myself complacent either. But when you hear the numbers, which you just reviewed, um, it begs the question, so why don't we have these travel breakdowns for the regular flu, would that not control the amount of people that are killed by normal influenza? It's a, it's a, it's a heck of a question, Brian. And, and I think that the fact is we're so used to the flu because it's not a new and scary word. We've all heard it a million times that probably if you said we're not going to allow you to leave your house for two months during flu season, people would lose their minds, rightly so. But that's what they're doing now. I, I mean, every year, every year... They come out, you go get the flu vaccine, and then three months later you find out, well, we just didn't quite nail that one. We missed it by a bit. We weren't 100%. But the deaths still go on. It just seems like it's it's like going to such extremes for this when it happens every year. And did we not go through something similar to this probably a year ago when Ebola was in Africa and we were all worried Ebola was coming over across? And it's not quite the same. I understand that because this is a is spreading more rapidly. But look, I, I'm again, I'm not poo-pooing the idea of what's going on here. Uh, Neither am I, but it, it's almost like the WHO should be the WFO, like the World Fear Organization, because, you know, we're not going to call it a pandemic, but it looks like it could be going that way. Or it's just so back and forth. And like you said, when you rhyme off the statistics, I mean, the standard influenza deaths numbers are staggering. 
in comparison to this. Uh, yeah, but, and I'll give you one more number here that I let me just pull this one up here. Uh, in the states alone, there are 31.4 million outpatient visits to American hospitals every year for the flu alone. There you go. There you go. Brian, I appreciate the call. Thank you. i got to okay. grab another line, but thanks so much for that. Uh, let me go to Doug. Doug, how are you tonight? I'm doing really well, and if I cough, it's not because of coronavirus. <laughs> That's good. We've got a big gap between us, so it's okay. You're in your car. Uh, where, where are you on this one, Doug? Well, I, I think this is all hype, and I, 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 shouldn't, I shouldn't have said this earlier. I'd love to know who's making money out of all this other than media for reporting it with big, flashy headlines and the scroll at the bottom of the screen. Like, who, where, follow the money here. Well, look, I don't, I don't think that it's necessarily hype in that way or made up that way because obviously people are dying and we do know that back when SARS was going on, it was a huge concern and we don't want these things to get out of control. M- what I'm saying is I'm, I'm not of the opinion at this point that we're going to see this giant pandemic that is sweeping across all of the world and everybody is now having to stay in their house for 21 days in some sort of self-administered quarantine to avoid it. I, I think it's going to be probably like SARS that will be sorted out reasonably soon with, with proper handling of it. Exactly. I agree. And even if it did become a pandemic, it's basically just a bad flu for 99.9% of the people who get it. It's uh, it, Well, many people, uh, let me pull up some numbers again for you, Doug, because uh, of the 82,800 who have had it that we know of so far, 33,000 are now declared recovered. That doesn't mean all the rest have died. It means some of them are still dealing with it. But of the 82,000, 2,800 have died. It's, it's not a huge percentage. It's certainly, if you're one of those people or a family member, is significant. Um, but you're right. For a lot of people, you do recover from this. So it's not an instant death. It's not the Black Plague. Um, and, but then the other part of that is, how many of those people are just confined to their house while they're sick? They're not going to be staying in the hospital. They just have this virus. It's a great question. And we're going to, Doug, i got to go. I appreciate the call. Uh, we're going to see how this thing goes. I, uh, look, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not diminishing it. I'm not poo-pooing the idea. I'm just not yet at the point where I'm caught up in all the seemingly frantic, breathless stuff about this, that this is going to be something that sweeps the world and we're all going to be at risk. There are some people who are going to get sick. There are some people who are going to die. That's terrible. That's tragic. But that is going on with a lot of other illnesses right now as well. And as long as we try and keep the people who are sick, just like with the flu, if someone's got the flu, we don't ask them to come into work. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our good buddy Bubba O'Neill from CHCH who is busy at work watching the Leafs maybe beat the Florida Panthers. Although that would be a, a rarity this year, Bubba, if, they, if that were to happen. 0-2 so far this year, like outscored, like were they 7-2 was one. Like they've yeah. just been pumped pretty good at home and at the BB&T arena. The what uh, arena? Know. The BB and T Arena isn't that a sandwich? I think it's a it's a bank. I think it's a bank in Florida. Oh, um, <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yes. Yeah, so let me ask you about this. Uh, I've been watching highlights of spring training so far, and it appears that if you are a member of the Houston Astros, you might want to get a Kevlar jacket to wear under your uniform. <laughs> 
because they are being drilled with pitches. Now, you can chalk it up to pitchers not having the full control yet and all the rest of the stuff. I'm I'm a little skeptical that's what it is. It's Baseball players around the league are not happy with the Astros. Major League Baseball didn't take care of this properly. And these guys look like they're going to wear it all season. I, I think that's assumed. Uh, and I think even... To that point is that the players, the Houston Astros, uh, who I'm speaking about, um, they know it's coming. Um, that's just the reality of the situation. It's part of being on that team, and uh, you just got to grin and bear it. Now, I don't think every once the regular season starts, that every day there will be someone that gets beamed. But I would propose to you that every t- opener of a series, every time you see a team for the first time, and it may not be the first batter of the game, or uh, which would be Altuve. I think believe he's going to be the leadoff hitter there. But somewhere along the line, someone is going to take one. And, you know, and I think, to their credit, the, to the people doing the beaning, I don't think anyone's going to go headhunting. I think it's going to be off-speed stuff, uh, fastballs to the thigh, and, you know, baseball, baseball like hockey, um, allows for retribution. Well, yes they, and no. Yes and no. Uh, Rob Manfred has said the commissioner of baseball has said he's not going to allow what it. What's he going to do? Well, this so he this is suspend everybody. <laughs> that that's the thing. So he's either going to suspend everyone or he's going to somehow now give Houston a big advantage because you, you got to be able to pitch these guys inside. Or so what? Now you throw inside and you happen to nick a guy and you're going to get suspended. Like I think the the thing here, your point is right. I think they're going to be getting a lot of thighs and bums and backs because as soon as you hit Altuve on the hand and break his hand, that's when baseball is going to step in and say, okay, now Absolutely. you're suspended. And that's why, and that's why there will be really nothing that happens in this. I, I believe you know because, like I said, it'll it'll be scattered. I don't think it'll be game after game, but you know, like I said, especially the first time you see a team. Um, you're it's going to be you're you're going to pay the price. People are upset, players are angry, um, and I think to a to a man, the the players feel cheated. And, uh, and I also think they feel cheated by Major League Baseball, yes, yes. who did not punish the players. And I know there was a you know a little sh- underhand you know handshake deal between the players' association and the commissioner that no one would be suspended. But at the end of the day, I don't think the players outside of the Houston Astros think that the penalties and suspensions were enough to the Houston Astros. And now we've got the Boston Red Sox coming up for some sort of uh, determination decision because they apparently were doing the same thing and... Be interesting to see if they start taking the same. If the report comes back that they were doing basically the same thing when they won their World Series, most recent one, if people start giving it to them as well. Because uh, here, oh, by the way, I got to interrupt. It took two and a half minutes for the Leafs to fall behind to Florida. They're already trailing one nothing. <laughs> no. Uh, every, well, you know what? They had a good game last game, so it means they got to stink the joint out tonight. That's the Jekyll way it works. And Jekyll. Um, no, to go back to this one, I think the oh, one all they just tied it. There you go. Um, so I I think the other thing that we're missing about this Houston story, and Tom Verducci from Sports Illustrated wrote about this on SI.com today, and I think he's a hundred percent right. And that is, I don't think the Houston Astros players realize at this point how exhausting emotionally this season is going to be because every game. They are going to be booed vigorously and heckled and tormented and people are going to bang on garbage pails and hold up signs. And some of the guys like, 
Altuve, who was a fan favorite because he's a little tiny guy, and suddenly now he is the number one villain in baseball. I think by May, these guys are going to be mentally completely worn down. Well, I think the hiring of Dusty Baker was probably the smooth move there because he's, you know, that comforting players kind of manager that I think is going to be able to mentally get, you know, to these guys, you know, and to keep them, you know, prepared and um, and fresh. And, 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 you know, he'll probably move these guys in and out of the lineup at times. Um, kind of the perfect guy to, to treat this situation because it's going to be hard. With that said, whatever cheating was going on went on, and we all know about it now. But if history serves me correct, statistically, and I know that maybe there was cheating, obviously there was cheating, so maybe the statistics were bumped up. It's still a pretty good baseball team. Sure it is. Right? And they're going to win games, and they well could be in contention for the playoffs. You know, people have been talking about what the appropriate situation, or what the, sorry, the appropriate penalty should have been. Um, Look, you can't take away a championship. It's just not going to happen. It's really never happened before. Uh, You just, it's, you know, it's too long ago, and I know the commissioner tried to devalue it by calling it a piece of tin, which he ended up looking really poor in. What what I would have done is very close to what European soccer do in some of these situations, and I don't know how this would have worked, but I think you make their season almost worthless in a sense by now not allowing them to participate in the playoffs. They would lose a tremendous amount of money at the gate in terms of playoff revenue. And plus, you're basically playing for nothing. Why not just tell them you can't play this year? I, and I and see, I don't, because then the players can't play. True. Oh, yeah, true money, enough. Yep. Right? That, that, to me, you, you couldn't do. But you know what? You do not have, you will not, for the next two years, have a right to participate in the post postseason. And I think that's, that's, that, that would hit them in the pocketbooks in terms of attendance. That will hit them in the fact that, you know, you're going to have maybe maybe a couple of players that say, look, I want out of here. So you may possibly lose players. I think that would be a strong, would have been a strong message by Major League Baseball. Um, because, you know, look what Man City. Yeah, Man no, City, that's an interesting way. To, that would be an interesting way to do it. I, I'm, I go back to the point about, like, this is going to be exhausting for them. Because, look, every city they come into... Mm-hmm. For a road trip, you know what the questions from the media are going to be. You know sure. how the crowd is going to react. And here, here's where it gets really goofy for them. You're Jose Altuve now, and I'm picking just him because uh, he's probably the best known of the players. But pick anyone you like off that team. Jose Altuve this year has a terrible year because of all the stuff that's going on. Everybody is going to be screaming, see, you can't play without yeah. the garbage pail. You Absolutely. were a cheater. Jose Altuve has a great year this year. Everyone's going to be saying, okay, how are they cheating now? No one, there is no chance that anyone on this team is going to get credit for anything they do, no matter how well they do it. No matter how well they do it. Yeah, I don't, you know, I'll be honest with you, Scott, I, I don't see this massive drop off in, in statistics. You, they're good players. You know, Bregman, like these, these guys, they're good players. And, and they're good hitters. I, I think it was enhanced, obviously, because, you know, as Mike Trout said, well, I'd like to know when a fastball is coming, you know, down the left corner. You know what I mean? Like, they, they definitely, because those are the guys that are so talented. He'd hit 117 homers if he knew. <laughs> exactly, right? 
So, but I still believe that these guys are probably still going to have a good season. Their their pitching staff is elite. Um, you know, we've already seen them last year and what they could do. Yeah, and you're right. But then again, maybe it becomes so tough for them that, or maybe this has already started, that they say, look, this becomes a very us versus the mm-hmm. world situation. And uh, we've seen times what teams can do maybe when the, when, the, when the odds are stacked against them, when everyone's booing them. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've heard this several times in sports where, you know, teams like, I don't know, I'll, I'll just say like the 76ers if they go into Boston and they know they're going to get har- harsh treatment. But it fuels them. Uh, going on the road sometimes and being in a hostile situation sometimes brings out the best in a team. And, yeah, we're going to get kerplunked. And yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be get yelled at. We're not gonna be you know, and people aren't gonna love us until we come home. Like kind of a Barry Bonds in some ways. Well, there's there's one other thing that I think you could have done, and that is when their owner had his alleged apology press conference, which may have been the most deaf tone deaf thing ever, and he said it had no impact. I think what the other thing you could have done as Major League Baseball is require that the catcher tell the batter what pitch is coming <laughs> every time for one year so that every a visiting batter knows what pitch is coming for the next pitch and say, okay, for this year, the umpire will make sure, and if you don't throw that pitch, it's an automatically it's a ball. This is the crazy world of Scott Radley. Yep, this is what, this is what you would do. I got it. So you, Mike Trout would like hit nine homers in a series against the Astros every time. All right, let me switch over to another bit of crazy because because it appears by a number of reports from some folks who seem to have an inside track with the Tom Brady camp that Tom Brady, the inarguably at this point, I think greatest quarterback in football history, New England Patriots, is not coming back to the Patriots. So go the stories. Is this a who's the bigger risk? Who who has the bigger risk here with him if he does leave? Him? Or Bill Belichick, because he goes, and if he doesn't win, you go, oh, well, you know what, Tom Brady was a product of Bill Belichick's system, and if he does win, you, you look and you say, Bill Belichick only won because he had Tom Brady. Well, I don't know if I believe in any of those scenarios, but I think really the person that stands to lose, if you're asking me point blank, would be Tom Brady, because he would have to learn a new system. The players, the, everything would just have to be just right, right? And it means him, you know, he's had an offensive coordinator, you know, well, actually, he's had actually three or four offensive coordinators, but basically running the same schemes for the better part of almost 20 years. And he knows the, the, the book inside out. And it's basically when, when players come into the system, they have to adapt to Tom Brady style. Now, when he goes to a different team, that can't. That scenario won't happen because he doesn't have the people that knows his strengths and his weaknesses. What plays he throws the ball better on? Which you know, what, what, what plays he throws the ball over the top or down the seam better? You know, play action passing. All the the goods and bads of Tom Brady that this team, this Patriots team, know, and you know the players. It's a whole new situation, and I think at his advanced age, can Tom Brady adapt? And that's the question. And I think he has stands the most to lose because Belichick's going to just plug and play. He'll find someone else. Some, you know, there's a couple of veteran quarterbacks out there. I don't believe they'll do as well as Tom Brady has over the year, but they'll just adapt to his system and 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 run run. You know, if, even if you got to become kind of a game manager style style quarterback that just basically runs the playbook. 
So I think if Brady goes somewhere else, I I don't. And this is what leads me to believe where he's going nowhere. And I know one day we're going to turn on the radio or open the the Twitter, and it's going to say he's going to the Giants. Uh, He's going to the Chargers. Chargers make sense. Oh, what about Indianapolis? Oh, maybe Florida. Like it's just we're going to hear this every day. And I think free agency is in the middle. Begins in the middle of March, and he probably is going to take his time. But the best situation for him is in New England. It has to be. Why would you leave? Well, you go somewhere else, you're right. I, I think you do run a risk. I mean, the, the place that seems to make the most sense for him, if you watched how the playoffs went last year, would probably be Tennessee. Because uh, they've got this power game that you don't need him to be throwing for a million yards, and he could then be a guy who comes in and just puts you over the top. But does Tom Brady, after all this time, when you've got free agency and a chance to expose yourself in a in a good way, um, <laughs> do you really want to go to Nashville, Tennessee? I mean, is that the place? I would think you got you want to be in L.A. or you want to be in Las Vegas or you want to be somewhere where every, you know where Tom Brady has the the brightest of the bright lights. I don't know if the Tennessee Titans are that team. Yeah. I- I, I, I always thought in the back of my mind that if he did leave, that the Chargers would be the best situation for L.A., yeah. Well, just because, that, you, know, you know, they're going, they're going to be playing in this crazy new stadium in a couple of years. His parents, you know, he's a, he's a California guy. Um, you know, they've already moved, his family's already moved from, you know, the general Massachusetts area out to California. Um, it would be a comfortable situation for him. You know, his mother is, has been dealing with cancer for a night. You know, he'd be closer to home after all these years. Um, and the Chargers, who, you know, are don't have Phil, you know, have parted ways with Philip Rivers. And remember, they're a year removed from being 12-4 and four and in the playoffs. Yeah. Could they afford the move to California? That's expensive. Look, Tom, <laughs> Tom makes a lot of money. His wife makes triple what he makes. That's yeah, true. Giselle, Giselle's not a poor woman. No. Uh, she, anyway, it's going to be fascinating because if he does go, uh, boy, oh, boy, this now, there's not much in the NFL. I, in fact, there would be nothing in the NFL that would be as intriguing a story this year. I mean, obviously, who wins the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. But from a personal standpoint, there would be no story more intriguing than the Belichick-Brady do either of them win? Does one of them win? Does well, one of them make the other one look bad? That kind of whole thing. But Scott, can, can you imagine if he goes to a team in the AFC and it somehow lines up that, you know, Tom Brady's got to come to Foxborough playing for whoever? Could you, can you imagine the week-long hype machine? It would be bigger than the Super Bowl. It, it, it well might be. No, it would be. It would be bigger than the Super Bowl because it would be, and it wouldn't even be about Brady versus the Patriots. It would be Brady versus Belichick. And, like, again, if he leaves, those are the two guys who become the focus of the story no matter what this year. Because, yeah. because, because the story has always been who made who. Which, which one of those guys created the other one? I, I, don't, I don't think that that's a fair question because I think they are equally responsible sure, for the Patriots. I don't, I don't think that if Tom Brady went somewhere else, I don't think Tom Brady's a bad quarterback. No. I don't think he's average. I think he's great. And if Bill Belichick, you know, with what he learned, he, he'd been a few other places, but with what he learned, I think he was going to be a great coach. So um, anyway, got to run. Uh, Leafs trailing again. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be one of those nights, I think. Maybe they should get David Ayers and that. I, I said this the other day, uh, David Ayers in his last, so he's the guy who drove the Zamboni, everyone knows the story. In his last year of competitive hockey, 2014-15, in the Allen Cup Hockey League with the Dundas Real McCoys and the Hamilton Steelhawks and all that, 
uh, his goals against average was eight point nine, and he was and he was zero and eight, and the Leafs could not score on him for the entire third period. There were guys who played college hockey and a couple of years of OHL hockey, and they were scoring more goals on him than the Leafs could. It's One stunning. of the most. But I'm telling you this right now, Scott. It is, and I said this on air, and and I, it's the most wonderful story ever. I think it heart it warmed everyone. You didn't even need to be a hockey fan or a sports fan, but at the end of the day, the emergency goaltender rule in the National Hockey League is a complete joke. Sure, it is. I want the emergency pitcher rule in baseball when you're down by 13 runs and you don't want to use a position player. Some dude who's been in the bleachers, who's been heckling and been able to, you know, you go, okay, Bob, you're in. I mean, how stupid! I mean, you're right, but it's. A, but then watch watch some guy come in and blaze a 96 mile an hour fastball by someone, and suddenly now it's a movie. Or Tom Brady and the backup go down. That's right, and now you've got the guy who runs in New England the uh, the duster, so you can kick field goals on the the <laughs> snow clearing machine. He comes on and has to kick a field goal. Three one. Three one. Oh, oh, Freddie Anderson just let in a goal from an angle that uh, I don't even know. Is it obtuse or uh, isosceles? I don't know, but it was bad. Anyway, here we go. Back to the game. Back to the show. Appreciate your time. Always a pleasure, buddy. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.